We've been reminded this week of the importance of first words. Uh, Whether it's an inaugural speech or, in an academic context, an inaugural lecture, first words say, this is who I am, this is my platform, this is my message, this characterizes my service in the office that I am filling. And today, in Matthew chapter 4, and if you have your Bible, open up to Matthew chapter 4, we get the first words of Jesus' public ministry. There is a lot of anticipation at this point. We've looked at this in the past couple of weeks in Matthew's Gospel because of who Jesus is. Jesus, we learn in the early chapters as he's being presented to us, is God's Son, God's beloved one, with whom he is well pleased. Therefore, he is the Messiah. He is... um, the, uh, he is Emmanuel, God with us. He's got the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And Matthew, if you look in Matthew 4, gives us another important gloss on who Jesus is by quoting Isaiah 9 in verse 15 of chapter 4, saying that Jesus is the light shining in the darkness. A number of years ago, I was working at an outdoor company, and we, a good friend of mine and his and another, another of our employees went on a hike on their day off to climb Ice Mountain in this region of Colorado. It's one of the more difficult climbs. He was an excellent um, climber, and so no worries about him, but they didn't come back when they said they were going to come back, and so we got a little concerned. We put together a little rescue team, and we drove out to the trailhead, which was 30 or 40 minutes away, and of course found his 1990 Toyota Land Cruiser empty with no signs of them. At this point, it was nearing midnight. And we were a bit concerned, and so we started to hike up the trail, and then lo and behold, off in the distance, a light shining in the darkness, these two headlamps that were dim, kind of wobbling down the trail toward us, and we had a happy, re- a happy reunion. Um, they had just gotten in a bit over their heads that day, but they were okay. Jesus is this light shining in the darkness, we're told by Matthew. And this light shining in the darkness, if we look at Isaiah 9 and kind of ramp that out, it's the fact that in Jesus, in this messianic king, God's kingdom is coming. His kingdom of righteousness and justice and peace, blessing, is coming through this king. So if we read on Isaiah 9, that's what we see. And that's what Matthew's telling us with this gloss here. Another comment on the significance and importance of this man that he's writing about. So the question is, so what does the light shining in the darkness say? What does he say? And that's what we're going to consider tonight. Just look at what he says and then look at how he says it. That's the basic structure. Here's what he says, verse 17. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Most scholars say this is not just a one-off kind of rare occasion. This is a summary of Jesus' early teaching and preaching. And we've looked at repentance a good bit. Um, at Church of the Cross. We regularly do because it's a part of the Christian life. We did most recently in Advent. But as a brief reminder, repentance means to change your mind. It means literally to turn around, to change course, to stop doing what you were doing and to start doing something else, to stop following who you were following, the idols that you were serving and giving allegiance to in your life, and to turn and to give your allegiance to someone else, namely to the living God. The primary way, the primary thing under sin that we need to repent of is the way in which sin curves us inward upon ourselves. 
to where we're so consumed with ourselves, we love and cherish ourselves to the exclusion of our neighbors, the self-exaltation and self-promotion, this is what we're being called to repent out of. And Jesus says, okay, so that's what he calls us to, repent. But then the next part of of this statement, for the kingdom of God is at hand. He gives us the reason why he calls us to change course. And it's because the reign and rule of God is coming to pass in him and the kingdom that they've long awaited is coming to be. Down in verse 23, we get another gloss on the early teaching of Jesus. He went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. The good news, this is great news, that God's long-awaited reign and rule, the revolution in which sin and evil and death would be overthrown and undone, and God would rule in a new age. That's coming to pass. And Jesus' call, and by the way, that kingdom is a kingdom that's defined, of course, by self-giving sacrificial love, by being other-centered, by seeing the needs of our neighbor and caring for them in those needs, which is the exact opposite of where we are under sin, curved inward upon ourselves. Jesus' call is then to come in line with the new kingdom that he is inaugurating to start singing the new song of God's salvation in tune, in proper key with what is happening. Which, of course, means stop singing the song that you were singing before and change tunes. You've had that experience in the summertime of driving with your windows down, you know, listening to your nice little radio station, and then up next to you pulls the car that sound system is worth 10 times more than the car, and they're jamming to their music, and that overwhelms what you're listening to. In many ways, that's what's going on. Jesus is saying the kingdom's coming in and the music has changed. Stop singing what you're singing and join this great new song of God's redemption and reign. Now, our initial response to this initial teaching of Jesus might be one of slight frustration. I mean, repentance isn't a message that we think about, you know, really selling on the bestseller list. And one of the reasons why we we struggle with this is because we want affirmation. We do. We crave it. We want someone to come and to say to us, you're okay, you're beautiful, you're wonderful, you're awesome, you're gifted, and I'm here to take the you that you already are, which is so wonderful, and make it even better. That's what we want to hear, really, deeply. And I want to be clear and say that God says those things over us. I don't mean to say that, that, that those things aren't to some degree true, but it's a half-truth if that's all that we hear. We want to hear it badly. Accept yourself. Listen to yourself. It's no wonder, actually, that in modern-day distortions of the message of God's kingdom or the message of Jesus, the first thing to go out the window is the heart of Jesus' inaugural address. We lose that call to repentance and exchange that for a cheap version of the truth, which is not the truth at all. Instead, the call to repentance, Jesus is kind of, instead of saying, hey, you're great, he's like, hey, you got a piece of cilantro stuck in your teeth and you need to get it out. You know, we don't really like that. Something was wrong that needed to be addressed and needed to be changed, but that's what Jesus is doing here. So 
Another reason that we struggle with this call, besides the fact that it's not just a straightforward affirmation, of course it's the pathway to the deepest kind and the most true kind of affirmation that all of us long for, but a second reason is our association with calls to repentance. It's often seen, this, this message, as a slap on the hand or a shaming word, a harsh word, a beat down from someone who is blind to their own issues and who's excited about the fact that if you don't repent, you will face judgment. So you get that kind of stereotypical pic- picture of the, the fire and brimstone preacher who's pointing down from the lofty pulpit at the poor sinners in the pews, kind of smug in his own righteousness and smirking that the fact that, that the judgment is coming. And this is where we move then from the what to the how. Uh, early on in um, Mandy's and my marriage, she taught me a very important lesson that I now teach every couple that I do premarital counseling with, which is, Mark, it's not what you say, it's how you say it that makes all the difference. And we all know this. We can say the right words, but it's the manner in which we say them. Certainly in the context of a marriage, this is significant. And I think my eldest daughter is now capable of this kind of discernment through words to something deeper as well. It's how we say something that's such a huge part of the message. So how is it that this word, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, is meant to be heard? How is it that Jesus is saying it? Remember who he is already at this point, before he's spoken in his public ministry. Jesus has traveled an infinite distance. We've looked at this in catechesis, at the power and the miracle of the incarnation that the eternal word of God would come from his heavenly place from his heavenly glory, and humble himself to enter into human flesh, to enter into the broken, sinful world under the dominion and domain of darkness. This is not a harsh word with somebody pointing his finger at you, but a deeply loving word coming from the King. Yes, there's an element. He's the king of command in Jesus' message of repentance. I am the king, and I urge you to get in line with me and my agenda, to relinquish the agenda that you were following before, and to come under my sovereign authority. So there is an element of command. In fact, in the next section, right after this uh, phrase, when the, the call of these first disciples, he says to them, follow me. It's a command for allegiance. And so there is a command element here, of course. But because the purposes of the one, the king, who commands this repentance are for our good, for our flourishing, for our life, then we can also understand the how of Jesus uttering this message as one of a loving plea and a gentle plea. Come to life. Come to me, Jesus says, and I will give you rest. Come and find forgiveness. Come and find the renewal that you long for. Jesus' call to repentance is not unlike the scenario of Jesus running into a building that's on fire and shouting out, the building's on fire, get out! And run to safety. Because your future in this building doesn't have a great ending. 
but there's safe pasture out here. Come out. And if we ignore that call, we can't pretend that the building is, or we can pretend that the building is not on fire, but there will be dire consequences, of course, if we ignore that. This is a gracious call to a humanity, every one of humanity, to come away from death into life out of darkness into the light. As I was reflecting on this phrase, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand this week, the verse that kept coming back to me as a kind of echo chamber for for this verse is Romans chapter 2, verse 4, which is one of two places where the Apostle Paul explicitly deals with repentance. The other is 2 Corinthians 7.10. But in Romans 2, Paul says this, Or do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? God's kindness. The fact that God has become incarnate. The fact that Jesus grew up under human parents and submitted to them in humility. The fact that Jesus submitted to John's baptism in solidarity with the people to be the means by which he would rescue the people. This is the kindness of God. And Jesus inaugurates his public ministry with this call to repentance. But as we know, what you say at the beginning defines the work. And so we could rightly see that Jesus on the cross of Calvary, which is the greatest expression of the kindness of God, Dying for you and me, dying in our place, dying for rebels, dying for enemies. Very rarely, Paul says, will someone die for a good man. But Jesus dies for us even while we were were enemies. And in that expression of the radical kindness of his Father and of himself, of the triune God, Jesus is crying out, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This new age of God's reign and rule, of peace, of righteousness, of justice, is coming. And it's here in me. So repent. That's the how. It's critical and important for us to hear. As I close, I want to say that the the last thing is that Jesus' command and plea to us to repent needs to be understood in a twofold manner. First, there is a one-off, one-time reality of relinquishing allegiance to our idols and for the first time bowing our knee before Jesus, the gracious, merciful, crucified and risen King, and saying, I give you authority in my life. I yield control over to you. I receive the gifts that you've given to me, especially that gift of forgiveness and salvation and fellowship. And I now set out on a new course to walk under your agenda, under your rule, in the life that you provide. And then there's also in this call and command to repentance an ongoing reality because every one of us is, is, is complicit in the reality of sin and evil in different ways in the depth of our own being. 
and even in the structures of our world. And so the call to repentance includes, yes, the one-time turning, but also the daily practice of turning away from our idols, which continue to have a way to grow up into our hearts and take root, and relinquishing those idols of self-control, perhaps, of autonomy, of a pursuit of money for its own sake, or fame for its own sake, whatever those are, to continue to relinquish those things and to turn from them and to embrace once again the lordship of our gracious king. And that's how the psalm ends that we read today. A psalm about the light of God shining in the darkness, about the fact that there is no such thing as darkness before the living God who can see into the remotest parts of the earth. And therefore, the psalmist knows this, who can see into the depth of your heart and the depth of mine far better then we can see into our own hearts. And how does he end this psalm? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. That is a prayer for the living God to bring his divine supernatural sight and light into my life to help me along the pathway of repentance long after I made the initial turn to embrace the one who was embracing me. God, search me. Root this out of me. See if there's any grievous way. See where I'm holding on to my idols, Lord, and help me to let go. Help me to relinquish those things, to live in fullness that you've called me to live, and to let go of the chains that I'm trying to carry through in my life. Sure, they're chains that seem to promise me great things, but they're chains all the same. Shine your light into the darkness that I can walk with you. The way Jesus begins is the way Jesus continues in his kingdom work as the Messiah and the Savior. Repent. Hear that plea. For the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is at hand. Amen.